welcome to VIP Boxing's Bell to Bell podcast, and we've got to our 57th episode. Uh, this will be our last one before a little two-week break for Christmas. We record on a Sunday at the moment, and uh, next Sunday, John Evans and myself are having our Christmas do at the Jolly Boys Boxing Dinner Show that Steve Wood has every year. This year, it's at the AJ Bell Stadium in Salford. Um, I think it is it where I've Salford played it. I'm not sure where the stadium is. Anyway, whether you're watching on YouTube or you've downloaded for a listen on iTunes and Spotify, thanks very much for all the reviews you left. And it certainly helped us push us up the iTunes chart. I think we were 35 a couple of weeks ago, John was telling me. You know me, Steve, and my co-host, John Evans, who um, he had a bit of a late night last night. But are you okay, John? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, Steve. I, you don't get many mentions of Jolly Boys in public, do you? It's like one of these secret societies that just happens once a year that no one speaks of. What what stay, What happens on that day just stays on that day, doesn't it? it? Day <laughs> and what happens once the boxing's over, the ball of control have to leave because all bets are off there. But uh, <laughs> let, before John isn't a party animal that I know of. He was commentating on a show that ended rather late last night, like half one this morning. Anyway, um, special guest this week, a man making his third bell-to-bell appearance, former British featherweight champion Ryan Walsh. Ryan, are you okay, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, Steve. Hello, John. I hope you both you well. Doing, yeah, always good seeing you, mate. And uh, you haven't fought just over a year since the Jazza fight. Um, I'm hearing we could expect to return before the year ends. Yeah, um, thanks to Mervyn Turner and Shamrock Boxing and obviously Graham Everett between them and a good double act up in Norfolk and without them to be fair to them this is their third show in three months really putting on small they've been keeping small hall boxing and the professionals they have in the gym some of them are now on their third fight this year in these times so I can only tip my hat to them and I'm lucky enough because as people know I'm with MTK and they weren't able to secure me a fight this year so if it weren't for Mervyn Turner and Graham Everett I wouldn't Um, so I'm very very lucky very grateful and um I don't mind fighting before Christmas. It make it'll make my Christmas dinner test a lot better. The fact that I've had to diet a little bit before. <laughs> but you know what? It's amazing, and uh, it's the you know the greatest respect to boxing in the Norwich area. It's not really a hotbed. There's Graham's gym, you know, where it seems all the best fighters in the area are. There's a couple other gyms, I think, and two or three amateur clubs. For them to do three shows in three months is uh, is is a big effort and a great effort by the lads, all of you who have to shift tickets as well. Yeah, I think the Norfolk following Gemma are brilliant. If you look at the football, Norwich have got some of the best aware supporters, some of the best home supporters, one of the most, you know. I think it, has, it might not have the, what, the prestige as other cities, but paying for pound, I'd put Norwich and, and the people that support. Like, look at the family army, paying for pound as fans. I've been part of Ricky Atten's group, and obviously they're number one. But for our own little area, little city, because Norwich isn't a big city, I do believe, we, the you know, they definitely outwear themselves for for pound to pound. They're, 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 they're a brilliant group. And it's a really nice area to try and uh, to be sporty. They, they do get behind the sportsmen. And you've done and the other way game as well with Norwich City. I even went Fulham with you, didn't I, a few years ago? Yes, yes Fulham got the result. It was a really, yeah. really enjoyed that. It was a really good... i tell you the hardest bit about that, and this is the problem probably with Norfolk and Norwich, is getting to you. We had to do six zones on the underground to get to you, Steve. Six. <laughs> I've, never, I've done the whole underground day, thanks to that. But it was brilliant. Norwich did lose. I'm a neutral. And I always hope Norwich win, but I was happy for you. Good for my Norwich man who was with us. So. But the journey was, um, that was an adventure. 
That was really, really good. <laughs> hey, Ryan, you know, you've not, since for Jazz fight, that featherweight division, it's the IBF scene in particular that you were sort of involved in there with Jazz. It's been crazy, hasn't it? What, what have oh. you made of it all? Um, it's, yeah, I've had a whole year to reflect on it. And all I can say is, in my era time, I always think an era should be about 10 years, maybe 10 years before you start, 10 years after you finish. So, and then a couple of decades, British featherweight scene has probably never been so hot. Look how many world champions I had. Look how many really genuine good fighters we've had. Um, on my first attempt to try and win it, I ended up fighting probably the best of the lot. I think Selby has proved that, being IBF champion, four defences. Um, the Kiko Martinez turnaround win the other day was shocking. I don't think Gellard's ever been hurt, never mind dropped, never mind knocked out. Um, it, I, I was lucky to be in an era. With, I was just, well, I, I'm lucky to be in that era to say, but I'm very gutted as a fighter I am. I would like to fight them all. There was opportunities to fight all, but you just need a bit of luck and probably better business. But as far as the scene goes, it's brilliant. Um, I think we've looked, we've got something to look forward to in, we're going to have that Mexican who just beat Isaac against Kiko now. So, what a fight that'll be. Yeah. Wood against Conlon. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Uh, this is what I like to see as well. We've, we've got standout amateurs coming over, getting straight into it, which Conlon's done. I think Conlon's been struggling to find the weight where he can be his best. This vital is either he's coming out or he's undoing one of the two. Um, Lee Wood's, Lee Wood's good, isn't he? He's, he's, he's proved it. <laughs> what a bounce back after Jazza got him. I think Jazza probably should have stopped him that night. Um, I was commentating on the night and he had him at a point there where the referee done something that you're not really meant to do, a standing counter. He intervened and got involved when we just don't do that. That's not our rule. So he probably cost Jazza a couple of grand on the bonus there, in, in my eyes. No, weren't, weren't like the ref was terrible. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the rule, he didn't uphold the rules that I thought the rules were. But Lee Woods bounce back from that has been phenomenal and fair play to him. Man. I, I think... Cruz was um, Santa Cruz is never going to come back anywhere. So this is for the world, for, for world title now, isn't it? Between Conlon and Wood. Yeah, I think he's got until um, oh, I saw something the other day where they've they've given him a time limit. They've given him till so long to it might be this month. It's pretty soon to to you know or, or a couple months to defend or he gets removed. Yeah, so that will I reckon that will get upgraded to the full world title and for for plasma. Fair player to involve and may the best man win. I, d I don't know who I'm picking for that. I think Wood has got that one-shot power, but I think Conlon's pedigree, amateur, amateur pedigree, will be could be the telling difference. We'll see. We'll see. It take, take a good fight to beat Lee Wood. Gary McDonald proved that in Jazz are both um, world-class fighters, so it takes that to beat him, and we'll find out that with Conlon, I suspect. Well, brilliant, Ryan. Well, we're going to kick on with a podcast now. Thanks for your comments on the featherweight division. Even better that you're going to get an outing before Christmas. That's, that's, that's really good news. You've been waiting a year. Anyway, yes. we're going to... You, you most, I'll, I'll be honest, we've had some brilliant guests on here and you're most pro, you're right up there. Pro, arguably number one, I think, at the moment. Yeah, mate, number one guest you've had on this pod. So you're not going to let us down again with you, your comments. Talk for as long as you want. People want to hear you and see you, not John and myself. They suffer us every week. <laughs> Round one, you're going to start, um, Ryan. Talk about punching power. Right, I'm going to go straight off here because it's been a bit of a beef, man. As you both know, I'm a huge boxing fan. I love this game. love the idea more than anything. So I was listening to a Teddy Atlas podcast the other it's a couple of months ago because I do hold the grudges and I hold things on my mind for a long time. And I've come back straight after listening to podcasts and totally I'm fed up 
sick of hearing, oh, punching power, the heavyweights, and it's different. So let's just go on maths on punching power. I'm eight stone, I'm a nine stone fighter wearing eight inch gloves. The average heavyweight there is a 16 stone fighter wearing 10 inch gloves. Can anyone see the, the mass problem there? <laughs> this guy's six stone heavier and he's only got a two inch disadvantage with gloves, disadvantage with the gloves. And um, in my time, most of the most dangerous punches are middleweight and below, really. I mean, Deontay is a bit of a freak. I'll give him his due. He is probably the most devastating right-handed one-punch, single-puncher since probably someone like Foreman. He does it totally different. When it comes to punching power, what I love about punching power is the effect, something so seeming, seamlessly... Hey, when, a, when a good punch lands and in the right area, the effects are devastating. The one that I think with Deontay that stands out and will stand the test of time is one of them spiteful knockouts was the... the is it, I don't know how to pronounce his name. It was the ball man who was getting his spits... spits Spilker, yeah, that Alex one Spilker, was... yeah, the pole. That, that, that stands the test of time with one of them horrible one-punch knockouts. But as far as my favourite, it'll be Tommy Hearns, I think. I always think when you get them quite lean, long people, when he won his world title at 21-year-olds beating Papuino Cuevas, who was... He was the underdog in this fight. And every time... What I love about Tommy, he puts people on the first and that's pretty much game over. Last night, you seen Conor Ben with that one-two. When they go first-first, they just never recover. Yeah. The fight, the, the and yeah, punch power. It's what we all want to see as well. Punch power leads to knockouts, um, and it's the way it varies in boxing. It's it's, it's it's brilliant to see. Well, there you go, Ryan. How about Holster there? Hearns the Ram. What I don't oh, like because I love the, the Ram, but one oh. of the most frightening knockouts you can ever see. Double jab to the body, and I don't even think he lands the second. The right hand, and maybe that's why he's my favourite because he has highlight real knockouts against genuinely world class fighters and Hall of Famers in Duran. Cuevas was no joke. He was 21-year-old. We, we, we was lucky enough once, me and my brothers, to go to Telford and do a Hitman Hatton sit-down show. So it was Hatton, uh, Manny Stewart, and Tommy Hearns. And listening to the stories and that was brilliant. Tommy was... I think he's... Looking with... Look, he's the man who... You know when you do the... the, the who, who bust the style to beat uh, Mayweather? Well, that's there, right there. Over 12 reigns, I think Tommy's nearly unbeatable. Where he's best boxing. He even boxed, he was boxing Leonard's head off until Leonard found that unbelievable ball or right hand and some of the best, fin he's one of the best finishers, um, Leonard. And it's, uh, it took that to beat Tommy. It took a, a Hall of Famer. You're going brilliant, brilliant. Right, round two over to you, John Connorben. Yeah, well, Ryan just mentioned him there with that right hand last night. It's picture perfect, wasn't it? I, I think that summed up the improvement in Conor Ben. You know, we can't lie, he, he wasn't good when he turned over, was he? But determination, hard work, and the thing I like most about him is he's not compromised his style, is he? he's not compromised anything about him. He's still that aggressive, all action. He's coming for you, he's coming to take your head off, but he's just improved the quality of how he's doing it every single step. Matchmaking's been yeah. flawless. Yeah. You know, he... There's been people who've been good enough to push him a little bit, but not good enough to beat him. Um, everyone's taught him something. Algieri was turned out to be made for him last night. Uh, but Ben last night looked better than I've ever seen him. You know, it's time now. It's time to see just how far he can go. There were people at one time thought his ceiling might be British title. You know, he'd be lucky to win that. But he's gone now, hasn't he? He's gone above that. And it's time to see just how good Conor Ben can be. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll just be brief here. Yeah, my, I've only just seen the fight this morning, so I was out last night. Absolutely my, mightily impressive um, against Algeria. Brilliant matchmaking. Guy that had had about six fights in six years and was still a semi-name. But the only thing that's, you know, it was brilliant. Conor Ben, take nothing away from him. He could move up spot fighter Danny Garcia in, in three fights. Um, but the only thing was Eddie Earn's comment this morning, digging out Amir Khan, saying what he'd do to him. I mean, you've got to take into consideration what Amir had done by Conor Ben's age. I think he defended a world title five times and unified it, including Medina. I don't think there's any need for that, but he was fantastic last night and he doesn't need that sort of stuff from Eddie. Eddie was trying to, himself trying to make Brett Brook and Khan a few weeks ago, but Conor Ben was fantastic. I echo all that above and it's horrible when these promoters do stupid things like that and hopefully he regrets it now. On You know, it's just stupid. You just said it and only a boxing fan will really know. Look where he was at that stage in his career. Can, Can and Brooke at their best, they, Conor Ben and his matchmaking team go anywhere near him. It's, it's very, very skillful matchmaking and they're looking after him brilliantly and the, the improvements last night, second everything John said, he was... He looked, he looked brilliant. He did. He was a brilliant performance. And I don't know what's better, the matchmaking or the performance, but they're, but they're around there. Yeah, they're both doing their job, the matchmaker and the performance. It's combining into one. And let's not, yeah. you know, Tony Sims has done a, a, a good job yes. with him because, and you know, what it shows also, away from the performance, how hard that kid must work in the gym. Because when he turned over, I wouldn't have had him as a Southern Area champion. Well, let's have it right, though, because he's still not even British champion. He's still yeah, not the best fair enough, Britain. yeah. So um, we're going to give him all the... I have to get this one on me because I was, a, I am a... I still regard myself as British. I never lost it in the ring, so I'm a very proud British champion. It meant something to my dad. It meant something to my family. And I hate when they start doing all this jumping around to fight for this bauble that you paid for. You didn't have to work for it. Be the best in your own country. This was Stem and he made. Everyone knows I'm the best in your own country. I said, well, no, I don't. I actually don't. And I'm not taking it away from him, but don't say it. There's a belt there to prove it. And if you've got anything about it, you'll go and do it. And all the fighters I regard and regret. The clock's gone anywhere here. I'm just guessing. <laughs> it's, Chris, it's our Christmas edition. We, we've got a brilliant guest on. You can do what you want today, John. You can just ring the bell, whatever. Anyway, round three, never-ending deal. Um, we've got to hear from Ryan on this. Um, you know, is it this the question? He fights um, Joseph Parker next week. Um, is there a more pointless rematch this year, or can these two somehow get in the ring next week and turn up, a, turn in a twelve-round slugfest? Nee, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be the former, but the latter wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Parker won the first over, got off the floor early. I think first punch of the fight was it, one on points deservedly, but. I just, when I say pointless, you just can't see either of these in a world title. Derek's never going to get another world title fight, and Parker only get one if someone's looking for a quick voluntary, uh, you know, a quick first defence against someone they can beat. Um, as I say, never-ending deal was the topic here. It's just incredible. It's 12 years since his first British title win. I think 10 years since that Hellenius fight I worked on on Box Nation. It's nuts. Um, he, he just, he's, he's never-ending, never-ending deal. What do you think, Ryan? Um, I'm a big fan of Dale. I think um, this longevity for heavyweight is something else. He always turns up. I've, I did, I've seen him live a few times. He's former gym mate in Sam Sexton twice. I watched him against Price. Um, he just He's just got no no ending. I think um, I'm just a fan of him. I'm a fan of the man because he does. He'd go anywhere when he slapped. 
when he spat in the face of blood and things like that. Now, I don't, I wouldn't do it and I don't like condone it, but he's funny, he's entertaining, he's good for for boxing. And like you just said, he's in the, he's in the worst queue in boxing. You, the queue to get a world title fight now, thanks to all the mess with Usyk and AJ and Fury and White, it's a horrible queue, but what both men are going to end up being is that mandatory. They're going, someone's going to have to go through them to get their own shot. So it's, um, I don't know, it's just a Christmas present from above. And early, you know, whatever happens, they're going to get paired, they're going to get to eat. And um, good luck to them both. I think they're in a horrible queue, like you said, with this. It's not a great position to be in, is it? It's not going to lead to a world title. Winning, beating each other doesn't do nothing, really. John, I you speak, you. but I'm going to do an anecdote in a minute about Dell at the end of the round. Remember when, um, oh God, when you'll remember, obviously, when, when Delboy beat Sexton, was it the second time? Didn't he look like a good fighter? He looked like he could, he could really go on and do something. And then they rushed him into that Klitschko fight, didn't they? I just yeah. wonder if Dell had been looked after a little bit there, just what he could have done. But yeah, I like him. He fits right into that Herbie Hyde, lunatic heavyweight mode, which I absolutely love. And, and Dell's been great over the years, hasn't he? It was charming. I mean, it was, sorry. Go on, carry on. Yeah. The fight was Birmingham. And Birmingham, he, yeah. At the, even though he was fighting my um, team there, I thought his entrance was something else. He came out with the Union Jack, bandana on his face, come out to a West. Was it no West? It's a um, cool player. And I just thought, even though you fight him a mate, I can't knock your your appeal. He's got an appeal and he, he leaves it all on the line. And I'm, yeah, I'm a fan of Delboy, definitely. Yeah, excuse me, the sun's coming in, but I'll tell you <laughs> I'll tell you an anecdote about Del. Um, it was, didn't involve sun, but you'll get it. So the week of um, he fought Vitaly Klitschko, my job was the roving reporter for Box Nation. And um, the job was to hang around with Del from the Sunday before the fight till, um, well, the Sunday after when it ended with police raiding my room at three o'clock in the morning, literally, with looking for David Hay. Um, but anyway, on the Wednesday before the fight, Dell was in a foul mood after getting a van with him and about four others. Uh, so I said something, just being polite. And he said, what you fucking being negative for? I said, what? I said nothing. So anyway, he went off and we go to this beautiful hotel. We had to do this thing with John Rawling, snowing, weather's fucking diabolical. Excuse my language there. So I need to say it, diabolical. So... We go, um, he does this interview with, with John. It's freezing, absolutely freezing. And Dell's in this vile mood. So we're driving back towards the, the fight hotel. In, is it Munich? Was it? I can't even think what city. I think it was Munich, was it? Anyway, whatever city it was in, in Germany. Um, so we're, we're driving through and he suddenly sees this mountain and there's hundreds of kids skiing and doing all sorts on there. He demands the driver stops. And three days before the fight, damn it, he's fighting Vitaly Klitschko in an enormous fight three days later. And um, he demands the driver st stops, starts walking up this mountain, the side of this mountain, up the steps, and starts sledging with his kids <laughs> for about 20 minutes. <laughs> he's the best. I mean, it was mad. And then the weekend ended with um, the, the punch-up with um, David Hay, who was on the Box Nation... Um, Roll that weekend of stuff. So the police wanted everyone who worked with David Hay that now after the fight and come knocking, you know, probably knocking, come in my, my hotel room, looking in the bathroom for David Hay. <laughs> anyway, that, that, that went on for a mile too long, that round. We'll we go back to three minutes if we can. Round four, over to you, <laughs> Ryan, left hookers. Oh, well, I've done a bit of research this morning. I had a little look, top 25 left hookers. I couldn't start this without talking about the perfect left hook. 
which was Sugar Ray Robinson against Gene Former, going backwards, which is a technique in itself. In my time, I think, and what I love about the left hook, like power punchers, everyone delivers it slightly different. We know what their ultimate goal is to progress the chin, knock them out. Danny Garcia, one of the best, one of my favourites and some of them, you know, like that knockout we was talking about, Deontay Wilder. If you watch, if you watch Nanita Donner against Montiel and see the reaction from a, a, a quality textbook left up, he, he's got it down to a T. And I think it's probably, I think it's one of the most satisfying punches to land in boxing. One of the best to see, because it always cuts through the guard or if so, or the best is when they both go for it together. My brother received one against Paul Appleby and somehow thanks to fitness and, timing of the knockdown he, he got through it but I just think that that punch in it in itself and like I say it's been named as you'll both know Sugar Air Robinson landing that against Gene Fulmer anyone can go on YouTube I've found it again I've, I've watched it loads of time it's kind of known as the perfect punch yeah it really is when yeah. You, it's a beautiful shot and um, yeah I'm a big fan of it there's a, there's a few I, I've not looked into it this morning but some just came into my mind Bob Foster, for me, is the perfect left hooker. If you watch him knock out Dick Tiger, that's... Yes. I know exactly the type of left hook you're talking about, Ryan. It's 90 degrees, it comes across, it clips the chin, and the, the arm never even wavers, does it? It just carries on straight no. through. Yeah. It's funny. But Sorry, the other on, one which stands out as being a perfect left hook is when Enzo did Bruce Scott. And if you watch Enzo knock out Bruce Scott with a left oh, hook, yeah. you will not see a better left hook knockout than that. We're talking there about um, Dick Tiger and um, Foster. Foster got knocked out with a left hook to the body, left hook to head off Fraser. That was on this YouTube thing I watched this morning, which was shocking. Because Fraser, I think he was built for hooks. He didn't really do much jabs. He bobbed and weaved. And the one, one of my favourites was Tyson Burbick. That's yeah. a grazer. It was on the temple. Look at the devastation. He couldn't get back up. Well, he did. And then he got back down and got up. <laughs> that that's a really good and there's different ranges to the left hook this one was in tight I think he missed the uppercut with the left hook that's probably my one of my favourite the one I've seen the most would be Tyson Grazin Burbick and the one I've seen one of the most iconic shots ever was Joe Frazier dropping Ali yes breaking his jaw as well Ali was a beast uh, to get that was in the... I think that was 15, late in the fight, wasn't 15th, 14th yeah. or 15th round, was it? The, in the first fight in 1971, was it? The fight of the century. Genuinely, yeah. is two undefeated world champions, both Olympic gold medalists. It's phenomenal. Never be, I can't ever see that being repeated because the variables... And you've got potential goat there as well. I just think, unbelievable. I was thinking of another really good left hook, slightly different. Again, this is why I love the left hook, was... The Iron Chin Margarita getting knocked out off Cher Mozzi. Have you ever seen that one? Yeah. Phenomenal. No, I can't recall. He, I ain't knocked him out. I oh, can't recall it. If, if you put that one in, it's so good because he twists it over on him and, and, Margarita, and Margarita at the time was going the distance, fighting everyone. He was world champion too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we, when Lee edits this up, John, I'll tell him just to leave the clock off, I think, this week. Just, <laughs> <laughs> we're getting out of there. This is right over to you, John. Small hall boxing next year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I virtually just got home from a show that started at six o'clock last night. It was a, <laughs> it was a grueler, an absolute grueler. Some, I think, some has got a change, you know, on um, on small halls. And I, I was thinking, instead of calling them small hall shows, why don't the promoters change it round and and make smaller versions of smaller versions of the big shows? You know, cut down the fights to six or seven fights. The money you save from paying opponents and paying medicals these days and everything, and 
you can put that into doing a little press conference the week of a fight, build these guys up, you know, have three, four rounders against opponents, then have a six rounder, an eight rounder, and a, a top of the bill between two unbeaten guys. There's got to be matching of the prospects. Any of the, any prospects that don't want to take these 50-50 fights when they're seven and eight and oh, push them to one side. They're not serious about the business. We've got to get some top of the bills. We've got to yeah. get them known with little build-ups and press conferences and the bills have got to be shorter and more compact and more high quality. And that way, everything's, everything's going to improve because these 13 fight bills where it's 13, well, 10, 40, 36s and 80, 72, a 79, 73 and everyone goes home. It, it, I don't think yeah. that's going to carry on for much longer. It's I agree. Compact and improved. Yeah, I agree with you, John. I think there's too many guys, prospects who are nine and zero and that sort of thing who aren't prospects. They're on because they sell tickets um, who have been on the white collar. Um, too many keep-up jobs and not enough good main events in the small hall shows. And promoters are putting on these 14, 15 fight bills because they know that's the way to sell tickets. But And there's, you know, too many of the journeymen no, they know not to have a go because that fight, that promoter might give them work the next week. Um, there's a lot's got to change. Like, no, I, when, what, what your little plan there, John? I, I agree with entirely. What do you think of the small hall scene, Ryan? I think you've only been having six or seven fights on these shows in Norwich, have you? Yeah, yeah. Ours is definitely more towards um, John's dynamics and 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 setup. There, definitely. I mean, this one's a little bit bigger because it's at a, a bigger venue. Let's say can hold a thousand people. This. It's basically a really uh, renovated cow shed in Norfolk, but it's, it's a good it's, it's good for the job. But the pro- like you think you both know, the problem is the reason you have so many fighters on the bill is to guarantee the ticket sale, to guarantee you can pay for the opponents. It's, it's a hard business. Without some sort of backing, which none of these promoters have got, you need some sort of TV. I'd like to see them try and utilise YouTube and maybe try and find a way around that because if they don't incorporate that technology... I think small old shows probably we need small old shows without small old shows. There is, there is no big shows and maybe the bigger promoters need to start working and trying to help. I mean, there was a time at Sky where they was giving only a brief time where they give TV fights to all different little promoters and think Hatton was part of it. Steve Wood, there was loads of them. And I thought it was a good time for boxing because what you could give to these smaller promoters is the opportunity to tell their fighters that look, do this small old show and when the TV fight comes up and we get, you'll be there. I think Johnny Cares might be one of the people who benefited from that period because I'm pretty sure Liam fought as an aware fighter on a Steve Wood show yeah. against Johnny Cares. And it, that was a, that was a, it was a bit, because it was TV, it was still, still a smallish area where he fought. I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah. It definitely needs some, you can't really change it from the bottom in this spot to the top. I think the top needs to help the, the bottom. Help the I think bottom. you need your big. I was, I was even wondering if there's any possibility of having a section of the arena, 150 seats, 200 seats, where people can pay 15 quid, come and watch their mate fight and clear off out. Because that's what a lot of people do anyway. Yeah. And then you can yeah. put other people back in. You just have to make sure that what that fight starts at seven, those people come in and go, this next fight with fans in that little part of the venue, he's on at 8.30. Get them in, get them out. You can sell the same tickets twice then and keep people moving in. Because a lot of these people don't want to sit through 30 no. fights. It's their mate, box a four-rounder. It's got. It's going to take some thinking, this, because these yeah, you right. can't just carry on. You're right, John, and I think... Oh, well, there we go. Right, final round. Um, highlight, because it's our final episode of the year. Um, 
just of highlights of 2021, and I tried to be, when I thought of mine, I think, you know, obviously obvious things come to her, like the Joshua, the, the Joshua event at um, Tottenham Hotspur's ground, incredible event. But do you know the two moments that when I think of boxing this year, and this may be because I'm a bit of a geek, I don't know, whatever you want to call me. The, the two highlights that I think more of in boxing this year than anything I've seen is... Josh Warrington getting beat by Mauricio Lara. I seem to think of that fight every day. I just yeah. think of that last February every single day, how that went wrong that night, how it went wrong from the off, um, the fourth round, the fifth round when he should have been pulled out to get to getting done and stand to the referee, let me carry. I think it was, it's, I think it was Howard or, or Steve, I think, Roster, the referee, or Steve Gray, you know, let me carry on. And everything in a build-up, like watching YouTubes of Lara and seeing how slow he punched in his previous fights, I keep thinking of that. And the other memory I've got of this year is Canelo's uppercut that changed everything against Billy. Well, he didn't change everything. He was winning the fight. That just, in one, one shot from Canelo, just... Broke, broke Billy Joe's face. Um, they're the two things I think of more than anything else this year in boxing when you think of all the other stuff that's gone on. It's mad. And that Lara thing, there's not a day goes by, I don't think of that. Yeah, go on, Ryan. Go on, Ryan. I'm just saying, I, it's funny, how it seems negative with highlights. I think that because we're boxing, no, fans, I don't mean that. I it's just something I thought no, it should be the wrong, t- wrong. That should be the wrong, no, wrong no, I, I, name I of the round. Like it, maybe I'm. It's the way I was trying to express that is that the, what stares in there is the shock. It shouldn't really say negative. It's a shock. Josh Warrington getting knocked out. It's like Kiko knocking out Galad. You've never seen him hurt. You've never seen him injured. Next minute they're out the day and knocked out. It's why we love boxing. So for my highlights, again, two massive shocks. I think. The reason the shocks is because I told everyone the total opposite to what happened. So the biggest one for me was Lomachenko losing to this unheralded kid. And as good as Lopez is, look what's happened in his first defence. I think that was a total disrespect to his other opponent. I do think he's got the skills to on his dare. He's proved you can't just beat Lomachenko. Lomachenko doesn't get beat easy. And he wasn't beat easy by um, Tafimo. But Tafimo, that was a standout. That was that was one of the, the high... That was this year as well, wasn't it? Early this year. Was it late last year, was it? I'll have a look. It's within 12, it's within 12 months. It's within 12, it's within 12 months, 12 months. So, yeah. So that, that one was poignant for me. And then the other one was the Usyk Erja. Because I didn't see... I've, all, I've always been brought up, a good big and beats a good little one. And I thought, without doubt, Erja, world-class, world champion, good big one. Usyk, very, very good. And in, in, in time has proved an exceptional little one. Because what he'd done, and I think he could have... There's a chance there to stop in the edge, yeah? Don't know if you've seen it, but the fight ended eight seconds early, which was strange. Um, I couldn't work that one out. I was, I was actually watching it in Tenerife outside. I was in Tenerife for a week and I was watching it through a stream outside um, um, Veronica's. It's the only place I could get the internet. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, over there, everything's streamed. They've got nothing. They're all on Russian stream. But yeah, my most standout ones were the ones where I got it so wrong. I just thought Edge would use his size um, and the, as good a boxer as Yusuf is, I didn't think he was capable to do what he'd done. It was, it was really, it was special. And, he's, he's, he's sh- and more than anything, let's let's go on about these. You know, you said about young fighters taking risks and you need to, if they don't, push them away. Damn right. Look at Yusuf's career. Has there been a better road warrior in the history of boxing? He's never Incredible. fought at home. Incredible. My, my, my memories are, 
I think we've seen two of the great championship round displays, me. And you've, both, you've mentioned both the fights. I thought when Usyk looked like he was tiring, it was starting to go, not wrong, but he, it, it was getting hard for him in round the last fight. I thought round 10, 11, 12, Usyk fought that night were just three of the best I've ever seen. For a smaller man to do that, dig in, and as Ryan says, nearly stop him in the 12th, I just thought it was sensational. But I thought George George Cambosas topped that against Tiafimo Lopez. Round 11 and 12 there from George Cambosas to win the world title, win the world title when he'd been down and hurt in the 10th and it looked like this underdog story might be all going wrong. He got off his stool in that 11th, dug in the heart, skill and courage to win the 11th and 12th. Just, they just stick out in my mind and those are the two things. The championship rounds when everything was up for grabs in the air, two underdogs outmatched physically, you would say, dug in, showed heart and, and did it. And that's the two memories for me. And that's it. You talk about Warrington fight in round nine. He, you know, when he was out and the referee stopped it, he got up and asked to carry on. You know, it just shows what these guys go through, what, what you fighters put yourself through and where you're willing to go. The, the, I was just going to jump on what John said. On both occasions, both men were naturally smaller as well. And they don't call them the championship reigns for nothing. So when Usyk done that, he proved he was a champion. And Cambosas, again, the championship reigns stand out. And um, Warrington, he made more fans, probably through his loss, yeah. neutral fans, because the Leeds fans love him anywhere. But people like myself, who were just on the fence and not bitter or not good, but, but no, a little bit disheartened that we'd, I didn't get a chance to fight him. Watching that, I thought, well, no matter whatever I thought of you out the ring, in the ring, you've showed you're, you're a real man. You're willing to... All we want as fighters, or certainly me as a boxing fan, is for all fighters to obey the warrior card, which we just never quit, no matter what. You can knock us out. In, in, in UFC, I'm become a, quite a big UFC fan. I'm really interested in it. I really like it. It's tap or snap. And I'd like to believe I'm always snap. And in boxing, again, it's you go, you go out on your own terms. You don't... If you get knocked out, there's nothing you can do about it. In fact, that's probably the, that's the most mercy... It's probably the most merciful way to lose a fight, I think. Because I've been outpointed twice. And you have to look back and say, I weren't good enough. I didn't do this, I didn't do that. You get knocked out. What could you do? The guy's knocked you out. Full stop finishes. Tristan once put in the boxing news. That's why we love boxing. It's that full stop finishing. That's what we're all tuning in for. And yeah. the same as UFC at the minute with the taps and stuff. That's why I love boxing. Because, and look at Cambosis in his way. You can you can get knocked down. Or to, you can knock someone down, get knocked back down. It's the best drama. It's the best theatre in, in all sports for sure. Even though I do like my UFC now. Nothing beats boxing. Nothing beats the full stop finish of a knockout. Fellas, that's, uh, we've got two minutes left. We've, we've run on so long. I'll tell you what, <laughs> John, not a bad guest, Ryan Walsh, is he? <laughs> you're absolutely brilliant. <laughs> you're not used on TV. I'll never know. Your knowledge is is incredible that you just rustle up and your insight about what it's like as a fighter. You've been a, a brilliant guest, Ryan, for the third time, and I just can't wait to get you on for a fourth time in the next in a couple months' time because you, you're sensational. And all I can do is wish you and Michael all the best next week. Um, all the best to Liam. We haven't seen him for a while. I hope he's well and send my best. John, thank you for all your help doing the pod alongside me this year and everyone who's watching. Merry Christmas and thank you all for um, tuning in, downloading, whatever, and especially thanks to Ryan Walsh. To, um, I'll give him guest of the year today anyway. Thank you. Thanks very much, everybody. For all boxing info, news and latest interviews, 
Amateur and Pro across the north. Click and subscribe. VIP Boxing Promotions. Also, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.